2: Hey, friends, welcome to a special edition, special Thursday edition of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. You might not be listening on a Thursday, um, uh, but this episode dropped on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. And we normally do, uh, we normally just do one episode a week, but um, for the next three weeks, we're doing Mm -hmm. two episodes a week because there's a lot going on in our world and we need to talk about it. Um, And because... uh, nt wright's going to be on our podcast and he didn't fit into <laughs> he didn't fit into our current series but we wanted to get this no. out as asap yeah um the, uh, i mean the he's, reason... an up-
4: and, well, he's an up-and-comer we want to give him a platform you yeah know, if, yeah if, if you've never heard like, of nt right his stuff could <laughs> yeah. take off all he needs is like a little more and we like to help yeah. the little guys so anyway that's why yeah. we're doing that yeah yeah and you know
2: so if you uh please listen please listen to the, that episode just <laughs> for his sake no, it, we're really excited. Obviously, um, if right. you actually if you actually don't know who he is, um, you know, sorry for playing the inside baseball there, but he's he's a extremely for us in the way that we think about ministry mm-hmm. uh, has been extremely influential uh, yeah. over the past uh, fifteen years or so. Yeah. Yep. Um, but anyway, he wrote a new book on God and the pandemic. We're going to interview him um, today's interview is with Mike Frost, though, um, who is an Australian. Um, Professor, uh, church planter, teacher. Um, church yep. leader, teacher, um, and he—he's just an incisive. He—he has these cultural. He's—he's he's able to see cultural trends and patterns um, that are really, really interesting. And so, yep. um, we basically asked him to reflect on the pandemic and what it's revealing about mm-hmm. the church, what it's revealing about the West, what it's revealing about you know what what's going on in the world. Um, and and just to comment on some of those trends that he sees. So anyway, it was a fun interview, and he's Australian, so his accent is fun. Hey, we're going to have Nt Wright, who's uh, British. He's an Englishman, so mm-hmm. that's going to be a fun accent. Yep. Uh, and then so that that's next week, and then um, the week after that, we're going to have Beth Felker Jones on, yes. who wrote a great book of prayers for a pandemic. Pandemic yep. prayers. Yep. Uh, she has a normal American accent, so don't let that throw you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, any, any anything else we need to say about Mike Frost? Just the fact that, or uh, jump?
4: just the fact that sometimes we we jump into these um interviews and uh-huh. perhaps we could have prepped more than we should have. And I uh, I jumped the gun in this interview. Hmm. Uh, I was just super excited to get some of Mike's um prophetic reflections on how the church can be the church in the midst of a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I jump the gun. See if you can see if you can find Mm. the the moment where Mike says, Hey buddy, you're jumping the gun here. Slow your roll. He does say slow your roll, but he's so he's got, he's so kind that Mm. uh, you may miss it. But I, I do want, I guess I just say that to say um, every time we do an interview, like I'm learning how to do interviews and Particularly feel great at it. I don't. Hmm. I don't think I'm really good at it. Um, and this is one of the interviews where I learned something from the person we're interviewing. So just see if you can see if you can uh, spot that. That's so, that's so funny, man. I don't remember that at all. Oh, I do. I immediately <laughs> regretted. I immediately serious, dude. I immediately regretted uh, the question I asked, hmm. and immediately understood why Mike responded the way he did.
2: Hmm. Well the, I just you can ap- listen to this on several levels then. Yes. Yep. If and you're an
4: inspiring interviewer, then uh don't yeah. don't don't do it like I do it.
2: Or an inspiring interviewee, because <laughs> oh, apparently Mike handled it with uh, a plum. He does. And yeah. uh and which is uh, that's a skill that I want to grow in as well. When somebody when somebody asks me something that I that I feel is inappropriate or I don't want to answer, like I I I want to grow in that ability as well to sort of honor the person asking the question without shaming them, but also turn it and also set a clear boundary. Now we're not going to talk about that right now. So anyway, all right, well, um, here it is. I think without any further ado, Mike Frost talking about what the pandemic is revealing about us. Enjoy this. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Our guest today is Mike Frost. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
5: Hey, man! Thanks for having me.
4: Yes, Mike is an author, a speaker. He uh, runs a program at a college. He's from Australia. He leads a group of people who love Jesus. Mike, mm. do you have words to describe what you do
5: better than mine? <laughs> no, you pretty much covered it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, primarily, I'm a teacher. You know, I, I teach at a, at a college, at a university, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I teach, I mentor, I, uh, um, I head up a, a mission study centre at at this college. So kind of studying missiology, the relationship the church has with culture and the world, that what that interface is between religion and society. That's my kind of bread and butter. And then the other stuff you mentioned, you know, speaking or, or traveling or, or leading, you know, local communities of faith. That's all my they're, they're my spare time things. Mm-hmm.
4: Yes. Well, Mike, thanks for spending some time with us today. We're in the midst of a pandemic, which I'm sure you've heard about at sure. this point. And uh, in, um, in America, in the States, it's got uh, the church sort of maybe m- more fractured and divided in many ways than ever before. Um, leave it to America to politicize the unpoliticizable. And so we we are trying to get our bearings not only from a cultural standpoint but a theological standpoint and and a lot of listeners on our podcast are leading in the midst of what is sort of this earthquake or this tsunami that that's throwing up tons of theology and tons of culture into our face. Ben and I were talking earlier today it's like an apocalypse, it's revealing things. So I guess what just from your perspective there, like what are you noticing or seeing in the midst of this pandemic that you feel like is becoming into more stark relief for you than ever before.
5: Well, I mean your use of the word apocalypse is a good one. I mean it it um I've heard it described as being like uh, like lemon juice on the uh on the uh, invisible ink of of ecclesiology. Like all churches <laughs> You know they, they have their kind of they have their their public statements about our church is this and our church believes that, but then there's this kind of invisible ink that's the kind of the actually what we really are, what we really think, and what what we what we really believe church should be. And I heard someone say, you know, this pandemic is kind of like lemon juice on that invisible ink. It's kind of bringing yeah. to the fore. It's letting us all, know, oh, okay, that's what you actually really think a church is. And so that can be good. I mean, uh, I think some church leaders and churches are really uh, quite pleasantly surprised to see that actually what it's done is it's it's catalyzed a whole lot of their people to actually engage in, in neighbourhood and to, well, if they didn't already, to kind of at least learn their neighbors' names and to kind of reach out to them and to, you know, drop notes in letterboxes and to help elderly folks with, you know, picking up uh, medications from the pharmacy. And, you know, I know I know people have done some really beautiful things Uh you know, at driveway parties. And uh, I mean, one friend of mine, uh, an elderly guy across the road from him passed away uh, with COVID-19 and he conducted, he's a, he's a lay person, but he conducted a kind of uh, a secular funeral where everyone stood at the end of their driveways and honored this deceased uh, neighbor. Like just really simple little beautiful things like that are happening. And so in some respects, people are saying, "Wow, okay we had no idea that, uh, I'm amazed that they had no idea, but they're now discovering they had no idea that there was this extraordinary uh, movement, potential movement of kind of engagement in neighborhood. But on the other hand, there are some churches, I think, that are discovering some sad things about that, that invisible ecclesiology. And that is that pretty much our church was just about attending meetings primarily Sundays and maybe a midweek thing. And once you took those away, or at least you put them online, uh, we're discovering uh, that there wasn't much behind that. There's a flimsiness to, to who we were. So, yeah, it's revealing good and bad things, I guess I would say.
4: In that sense, is this is this a, a gift to the church? Or is this a hindrance to the church? How do you see this impacting the church moving forward as we work through this?
5: I'd be reticent to call it a gift to the church, only because, and, and we should have prefaced this uh, this conversation by saying this. You know, there are, are millions of people who are in in grief at the moment. I mean, there is you know unspeakable suffering. So, you know, to refer to something like this as a gift to the church would be in some way to dishonor that. I didn't mean to suggest you were doing that, but we have yeah, to exactly. recognize there there is uh, why there will be widespread, and I think intergenerational trauma will emerge from this, and we haven't seen the beginning of it. I mean, if Americans now are already upset about, uh, about lock-ins and their freedoms being taken away, I mean, God, this is going to go on and on and on, and, mm. you know, I've, I mean, I've got a friend who, who uh, works uh, with, with art therapy with children. Uh, he went to Christchurch. I don't know if you're Heard years ago Christchurch was decimated by an earthquake and then by several follow-up earthquakes over about a a 12-month period. He went and worked with children years after that earthquake and the level of anxiety and unexpressed trauma that kids were carrying around with them just after that. Um, so imagine multiplying that out, you know, across every city in the United States or in every country around the world. I mean, what I'm hearing about in the UK is horrific. I mean, I was, uh, I was doing mm. a podcast with a, with a podcaster from uh, Lancaster the other day and uh he was saying he knows someone whose whose uh, father passed away, and then when you pass away from COVID nineteen, I mean, it's horrific. I mean, you are drowning in in, in fluid in your own lungs, and. Uh he passed away, and they could not find a funeral director who had the time or the space to come and oh. and and collect him. And so, their father was lying in bed for days before anyone would come and take him. Now, I, I suspect hmm. you'll be you'll be hearing those stories over and over and over. So, I didn't want to be a big downer on this conversation to start (laughs) with but let's at least frame it by saying it is like we're wading through like you know we're up to our ears in shit right now and yeah i think we we have to acknowledge that if there is any gifts that come from this it is worth exploring them but i think we also ought to acknowledge that i i I don't think we even know the half of what what we're going to have to be dealing with with respect to mental health issues and the like
4: that's a good word mike i I I thank you for that. We were talking, Ben and I were talking to a a pastor friend today from New York City, and she leads uh, a group of churches with her husband. And, you know, she's talking about how there's trucks parked outside of funeral homes stacked with bodies. And then we had another friend of ours who's a pastor in a rural Missouri church. And, you know, their community is almost untouched by this. So the diversity within even our context about People are experiencing the horror of it, and then people are experiencing sort of just—it's a distant rumor or report that there's no yeah. real life, tactile touch with. That makes it complicated to talk about um, in the church. I guess I guess when I use the metaphor of gift, I was thinking more of the invisible becoming visible. Um, you know the the way that the way that tra- tragedy or disaster causes us to sober up a bit. There's a there's a reckoning or a sobering that happens, and I guess I'm just wondering like, what do you see? Are what do we do with that? Help us. How do we take the things we maybe couldn't see or didn't we would never choose to see them like this, but now we can see them. What do we do about that?
5: Well, I think yeah, the first step is about awareness and actually being prepared to do the looking. I think that after the the, the lockdown occurred. Lots of pastors were just, you know, basically at sixes and sevens trying to figure out how to pivot and deal, I mean, how to put services online, how to how to do pastoral care. I mean, you know, and and fair enough too, and some may have made some mistakes and what have you, but, oh my gosh, it was just an enormous challenge, and it was thrown on them really suddenly and quickly. So, you know, cut them some slack. They tried to figure out what, what church would look like now if we moved it all online, I was a bit concerned, I must confess, that I was hearing pastors like really thrilled with counting how many kind of visits and yeah. views they were having at their services. And I, I fear, mm. oh my gosh, are we just going back to the bad old days of church growth theory where church just basically becomes about marketing and we're just counting everything. Uh, even though we know a view could last for 10 minutes, we're just going to count, 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 and talk about revival. And, and and in a way, I thought that was revealing something unhealthy about mm-hmm. the kind of the, the growth obsession, which even though the church growth movement has pretty much petered out, you don't need too many people talking about it at least any longer. And even pastors feel a little bit coy about it. Wanting to appear too much, like they're obsessed with growth. Um, I, partly, I, I found that obsession with with counting views and visits. Uh, that's like the invisible ink thing. It's like yeah. kind of brought yeah. out. Oh, hold on. Maybe the mm-hmm. the thing that really shapes our imagination is still the thing that that many of us were converted in, which was kind of church growth theory, and that is yeah. Sunday is the doorway to the church. Attendance is is the way in. Marketing recruitment replaces actual mission or evangelism. But I have heard that conversation calm down a little bit more recently. There was just obviously the first flush of excitement about the technology and what it could do. But now churches are trying to figure out how do we be church? Because basically, we've got a Sunday meeting happening online, um, and we may have like midweek groups, home groups, cell groups, whatever we call them, happening again online. But all our ministries are gone. And I actually find this a kind of intriguing and interesting thing. Like Mm -hmm. We shut down all those ministries that were run by professionals or by really committed volunteers. So Mm -hmm. all we had left was that Sunday meeting, the inner core, and then our people in neighbourhood beyond that. And so it has revealed to us, okay, let's see what church looks like when individuals part of our church, actually see themselves as sent to their own neighbours, to the street. And I think that that provides, talking about a gift, I think that could provide something of a key uh, to our churches to recover just what it means to be incarnationally present. Because as you know, the church growth movement uprooted people, everyone drives to church, no one engages with neighbours by and large. Uh, We don't go to church in the same neighbourhood that we live in, we we're in cars. We're in huge parking lots. Um, you know, you know the, the kind of classic church growth, mega church kind of frame of reference. And now, all of a sudden, that has been taken away from us. Actually, I was in a podcast uh, in, in, interview with uh, Alan Hirsch, and Alan was saying it's like learning to play chess where the queen has been taken away. Like your mm-hmm. your most most powerful piece in the minds of the of the church, at least the, the Sunday mm-hmm. service. Let's take that away. Now let's learn, how do we play? Can you still win, you know? Can we still do Mm -hmm. this without that most powerful piece? And one day you'll be able to put it back in again, but maybe it's no bad thing to have to learn what it looks like to have to play this game, to use that metaphor, uh, without reliance on a Sunday meeting.
3: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy.
2: Yeah, in some ways, that's it um, as part of this discussion that Matt was referring to earlier, um, several of the pastors in that Discussion mentioned the same thing that they've had these uh, values for a long time, equipping the saints, empowering people for ministry. They've had these values for a long time, and and all the best intentions to get around to doing that, you know. Um, but it just didn't feel vital or necessary because it was like we we can sort of fall back on well we see each other once a week and i pretty much you know get to pastor people there and you know that kind of thing and now now these pastors are starting to ask this question of like oh well what if you know one of them as matt mentioned is in new york city like what if you know we can meet with 10 people well you know suddenly it becomes like oh it it becomes really important to be able to equip the saints to meet you know and and for mission and ministry to be multiplied throughout you know this uh, this new situation
5: so. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a woman the other day and she was saying she's on about three or four WhatsApp discussions, like all the mothers of the, the school where her kids go mm-hmm. and, and there's a neighbourhood one and, a, you know, a few others. And uh, and she said, oh, look, I'm conscious that I'm, you know, about the only Christian involved in all these interactions. And more often than not, they're just about, you know, homework for our kids or, you know, mm-hmm. play dates and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But um, occasionally, and especially now with, with coronavirus, it's straying into all sorts of existential conversations about meaning of life and death yeah. and yeah. is there a God and why did God let this happen and all that kind of jazz? And she was, and she's she's a lovely, godly Christian woman, but she was just saying, Holy shit, how do I answer these questions? Like when <laughs> yeah. and how do I answer them without sounding like a fundamentalist? And right. how do I answer them in a way that keeps the conversation rolling, not shutting it down and 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 i didn't say this to her but you got to think to yourself why why has why has nobody ever helped you with that before like mm-hmm. isn't that what discipleship is about like equipping mm-hmm. so called ordinary saints like her a very godly yeah. caring woman with like sure. a deep desire to connect with neighbors and friends like she's got it but now she's asking oh how do you talk about jesus in a way that's kind of engaging yeah. and winsome and you think That ought to have been the church's bread and butter to equip people to do that. So Mm -hmm. no disrespect to their church, but exactly what you're saying, Ben, it feels like, oh, we've been saying that that's what we're doing, but we haven't done it. Now we're being forced to have to figure it out. And I hope churches do figure it out because, you know, I hope it's not just she says, oh, gee, how do I do this? And they're like, oh, yeah, we should get around. And nothing much happens about that. I hope the church does move toward actually figuring out what does discipling believers actually look like, mm-hmm. not just while they're forced online, but but beyond just expecting that a sermon and then a midweek Bible study group is going to do the trick for them. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, maybe maybe switching gears here a bit, Mike, I wonder if you can help give us how you think about this, some frames to think about this. So let me just set the table a bit. I was talking to a friend from Adelaide there in Southern Australia. He was saying it's been two weeks since they've had any cases, new cases of COVID-19 and the conversation to reopen is just in the beginning stages of what would that look like? How would we do it? We're in Indiana, middle of the United States. We have hundreds and hundreds of new cases a day. And our governor had just given the green light for us to meet as a church to reopen in less than two weeks. Illinois just released a statement while we're recording. The governor said there will church services will not be allowed to have any more than 50 people until there's a vaccine a highly effective treatment, or elimination of any new cases over a sustained period of time. Wow. So we have three little locations that have drastically different approaches to how, this, how we handle this. I'm wondering, from your standpoint as a theologian and a teacher and a missiologist, I hear religious rights and freedoms framed a lot in America about this, you know? no civil government's gonna tell me what to do because I'm a Christian and I have rights. There's the, uh, you know, sort of the national narrative of the economy. We have to save the economy by sacrificing some old people. So open this up and open the ovens. But like, like what? how do you frame this? How do you, how should we think Christianly about how to discern how to move forward with getting back to normal, so to speak?
5: Yeah, well, I'm not hearing you asking me do I know a framework For practically how to figure that out Um, uh, because yeah I don't um, I don't I understand the concerns about the economy and I understand the concerns that people have about livelihoods and uh, and just being able to get by not necessarily be wealthy but just survive so I I totally understand that and I understand people saying there's gonna be you know mental health issues emerge out of uh, uh, the economic pain that emerges from this so I, I hear all of that and I hear, on the other hand, uh, the fact that um, there uh, the, the most vulnerable people are dying, and that uh, what, how on earth is this in some way an impingement on your freedom that you're being forced to stay home and watch Netflix and and talk to your friends on Zoom? So, um, so the practicalities of that, I'm I'm going to defer to to the so-called experts on that, but uh, theologically. Um, yeah, theologically. We have, to, we have to go back to kind of our first principles as believers, don't we? We have to ask ourselves. Uh, America has a, a deep, deep distrust of government and is particularly anti-authoritarian, and that's a peculiarity about American culture. That's not a human trait. That's an American trait. Mm. Uh, countries like mine, former Uh, British, well, currently British Commonwealth countries, former British colonial countries, particularly throughout the 20th century, which had a greater establishment of a welfare state, uh, particularly after the the Second World War, uh, we are much less anxious about the incursion of government into into our lifestyles uh, because for the most part that's been a positive and useful thing uh, for us so one thing i would say is that we have to and missiologically i'd say this we have to seek to discern what is my cultural anxiety here and what actually is my identity in Christ and my understanding of the values of the kingdom of God. Uh, It's sometimes hard to to disentangle those things, but as a non-American, I'm encouraging Americans maybe to try to think a little bit more deeply and work a little harder to figure out whether the impulse is actually much more a cultural um, American impulse. Uh, one which I understand where it's come from, the anxieties about government and uh, and control. And um, I, get, I understand enough about the history to get where it came from, but try to peel back some of those layers to make sense of what it is that's motivating you. Uh, and if the motivations are kingdom motivations, if they actually are about um, uh, uh, commitment to the sanctity of life, uh, love of neighbour, selflessness, if they're about the things that Christ taught us to be committed to, feeding the poor, to, to loving the least of these, um, if we are finding that those are the impulses that are pushing us forward, then we're much more thinking much more Christianly about the, the current dilemmas that we're dealing with. But if it's just about no government's going to tell me what to do or how, how dare you try to impinge upon religious freedoms and the like, uh, that's that's american talk that's not that's not biblical talk hmm. Hmm.
4: that's helpful mike it's it's hard for an american to tell another american that but maybe somebody will listen to somebody who's <laughs>
2: not <laughs> american about accent. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think i think it is helpful in in that you know you it's culture is the water you swim in and it makes it really difficult you know to actually know that you're in water you know it just feels like real life. It just feels like reality sometimes um, that this is what it means. This is what it's meant to be. Maybe for a lot of people, this is what is meant to be a Christian in America. These are the things that are important. These are the things we fight for. This is the, these are the hills we die on. Um, but to have uh, somebody else, you know, who shares that faith from another place, they oftentimes are able to see things that we can't see here from the inside. So I think that's, yeah. that's really helpful.
5: Well, I mean, I think it was both Leslie Newbigin and David Bosch, you know, one South African, one British, uh, who said exactly that? I mean, uh, we need the help of people from outside our cultural frame to help make sense of what it means to be a, a, a kingdom person within within the culture we find ourselves. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I don't presume to be the answer to America's woes well by any means, but uh, I do I do see a lot of the sort of knee jerk reactions that I'm observing from the US uh, appear to be more. Um, Cultural. I mean, we're not yeah. seeing that same thing uh, in places that have been hit as hard, like the UK or Italy or earlier in the piece, South Korea and the like. So, um,
1: yeah.
5: just be conscious that there are cultural reference points here that are propelling you, um, and go back to as I said, what, what does the, what does the kingdom of God look like? I mean, it looks yeah. like. Reconciliation and justice and love of the of the poor and uh, and concern for the other and selflessness and self sacrifice and um, let's let's ask ourselves what it looks like for those things to actually frame our thinking about what it means to be Christian in the midst of a of a pandemic and I would say another thing that comes to the fore theologically for us is the the recovery of the importance of lament and the freedom for honest sadness about what has been lost, not only the lives that have been lost, the literal grief, but also it's not going to be the same. I don't think it's going to be the same again. I'm not a futurist, so I can't tell you exactly how it's going to be in the future, but I can't imagine the world coming through this. And it's going to take another 12, 18 months at least. This is not Hurricane Katrina, it hits us and then like boom, now let's figure out what we do. It's going to hit us and hit us and hit us and hit us, and so it's got to shift something globally, really significantly. And there will be a genuine and honest sadness about what's lost as part of that. So, you know, Matt, you asked before, what are the gifts in this? There are gifts. I think there are there are great opportunities here, but um, also learning to recover the power of honest sadness and genuine lament. Uh, as part, of, even though it's not part of the evangelical tradition, but for evangelicals to embrace it, I think. Um would be really powerful uh, evangelical pentecostal charismatic uh, church growthy kind of people they are great leaders in times of prosperity and success so yeah. they're motivational they're energetic they're dreamers they we can do it they speak into our future they drive us forward um they they come into the, their best in times of, of prosperity and success uh but that kind of leadership sucks when we are <laughs> <Yeah. in> grief. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It doesn't it just doesn't work. It falls flat. Yeah. It just yeah. sounds a completely awkward note. So mm. those kinds of leaders have to pivot, not just around the te- technology, but really around the the very posture that they take. What does it mean to lead yeah. in the midst of grief and sadness? Yeah, yeah I
4: was going to ask you about mission, um because I know it's another one of your passions, but it strikes me as you're talking about grief. I think that's one of the that's one of the truths, uh, that's one of the beauties of the Christian faith is that we can sustain sadness. That sadness is actually included in uh, what it means to be faithful, rather than it needs to be excluded in order to be faithful. This this came home to me when I was, my wife was pregnant and somebody said, hey, you should read Nick Nicholas Wolterstorff's Lament for a Son before you have a son. And I read the first 20 pages and I thought, why did you tell me to read this? And then I read the next 20 pages and I wept all the way through it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I literally didn't know how to stop crying reading that book. I wonder, I don't know, I don't know if anybody ever feels like they're an expert with grief. It always feels like you have to begin again every time you get sad. But Mike, what can you offer us by way of, if we feel like we are out of touch with our sadness, don't know how to grieve, feel like a, a beginner when it comes to lament, what are some, what's some uh, who are some wise people we can learn from? What are some words of wisdom you have for us?
5: Well, part of it is not kind of copping out and jumping into kind of shallow hope. So there is the kind of um, "oh, this is terrible, isn't it?" But you know, don't worry, like you know, Jesus wins, or it'll Mm -hmm. all work out, or you know, there's a you kind of touch on the grief, acknowledge it, but yeah, um, better days are yet to come. And as I said, that just sounds a really a really sour note. I mean, it just, uh, it seems totally off-key. Whereas actually being able to um, sit in sadness, to lament, to to weep, to uh, to offer for a congregation faith, to belief that God is present and loves us, even if it, all the evidence appears to be to the contrary, to be resolute, um, to be a, a, a stone in a swirling stream, um, to keep voicing uh, the the word of love and justice and peace, um, that's beautiful, beautiful hard work. Uh, uh, you're talking about uh, speaking to someone in New York City. I have a friend there called Michael Carrion who is buried oh. 13 members of his congregation already, uh, part yeah. of a school system that he's overseeing, has seen hundreds of people... Uh, Uh, infected Um, and I I hear his lament I mean he cries out on behalf of his congregation like how long oh Lord how much longer how much more now that's not an expression of hopelessness that's that the very fact that you're crying out to God in the midst of that indicates faith in God and trust in a God who is present not trust that like yeah it'll all be fine tomorrow but resoluteness and Mm. Pastoral pastoral care is going to be incredibly important at this particular point, and uh, all the pastors in our midst will emerge and, like like you know ink in a, bl- a blotting paper, they, they they this is their time. But I would suggest even the kind of more prophetic evangelistic leaders among us have to learn what it means to enter into into the sadness and allow it, describe it. Um, Validate it, and offer a deeper hope than one like it's going to be okay tomorrow. Mm.
4: Yeah, you name the two ditches really well. I think that just the pie in the sky, like name the name the grief for like five seconds, and then psh, jump into I'll fly away. Um, or, or I think the other temptation for us is just to treat sickness like a sadness. Like, like uh, I'm sorry, sadness like a sickness, and just try to get like get over it. Like it's not. T- mm. It actually is telling us the truth about things. Like, sad things are sad, and it's okay for a Christian to uh, boldly, like you said, and resolutely tell the truth about sad things. Yeah. I, I was yeah, and the, I, effect on,
5: on the effect on our children is going to be really significant, I think. Like, I, I think it will be oh, intergenerational man. trauma. Like, I mean, our kids are, mm-hmm. particularly in, in hot spots, like, kids are mm-hmm. uh, hearing all the time about, you know, relatives or friends or school friends or relatives of school friends, and, you, you may not be seeing it right now, uh, but uh, but they're like sponges. I mean, it's just being yeah. incorporated into their souls. And pastoral care will be going on for a long time in engaging with with kids throughout this.
4: I, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I, I, had a, I had a child today in tears because they couldn't practice self-control with their screens. They were supposed to be doing online mm-hmm. schoolwork and they kept playing video games. And, um, you know, in that moment, uh, it it I, it didn't occur to me to name the fact that this you're living through uh, a an unprecedented event that as a forty three year old I'm struggling to go through. So I can't imagine what it's like to be eleven. But that's a good word, Mike. It's <laughs> a good word. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe as we close, Mike. Um. I I wonder what this is revealing about humanity that you feel like the gospel speaks to. Um, I spent an hour on my front lawn last weekend, sitting with two neighbors. Uh, one's, one's Jewish. The other one doesn't have any discernible faith that they claim. And we sat in the shade of a tree in the grass, six feet apart and talked for an hour. And it was such a peculiar thing to do. I've never done that with neighbors, but they were, (laughs) they were expressing sort of how, um, this was good. We never do this there's something about humanity that's being revealed here that that is a need and I'm wondering like um, you know how how does that relate to the gospel and is that gospel work and how do we how do we think about how to move into those human spaces as a church well I mean
5: I think it's revealing both good and bad about uh, uh, about human nature the good is the kind of thing that you just talked about I mean uh, the bad is I mean, People will laugh when you say this but it's the, the whole kind of toilet paper obsession from early in this uh right. in this uh pandemic it's like what did it reveal to us that middle class people are freaking terrified of scarcity i mean the, mm. the the very thought the very possibility that we could not have enough is one of the most terrifying things for middle-class people now most of the world lives with scarcity all the time but what it revealed to y- your country and mine is that middle-class people's one of their deepest fears is is that so i mean mm-hmm. i can remember early in the pandemic going into a supermarket and walking down down aisles and there's not, no toilet paper but there's no pasta there's there was no kind of meat there were like empty shelves everywhere and i could feel it rising in me like crap a bit of, I, there's a, I better get the last bag of pasta. Like, like, I didn't even need any pasta, but it was like, and I and I, and I didn't buy the pasta, by the way. But it was kind of like um, yeah. it, I could feel it. It's like it's yeah. it's it's not far below the surface. And I think that's been a useful wake up call. It's it's told us something about the people we're dealing with. There is a deep fear not far below the surface that we're not that this is a facade and that we don't have enough. On the good side matt exactly the kind of thing that you talked about i'm, I'm seeing it in my own neighborhood and i'm hearing it from so many people that guy I said who was running the kind of uh you know non-non-religious funeral on the at the edge of the driveways the the woman on the whatsapp uh, uh, and, uh groups um i'm seeing it all the time of course with people like uh picking up uh, groceries and 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 uh, medications for their elderly neighbors i mean i'm seeing people now say i i I knew my neighbours to kind of wave as I drove out each day. I didn't even know their names, but now we do. I mean, um, I think it is revealing something beautiful about the yearning for human connection and the feeling like neighbours should know each other. Uh, And that's not just a Christian perspective. Like, you know, non-Christian people, like you're saying, Matt, are saying, yeah, we don't normally do this. Why don't we? We should.
1: Now, if this mm-hmm. pandemic
5: did last uh, like a month and like there's, a, there's a, a vaccine and it's all over, I think we'd all just spring back to the way things were, to be quite frank. But if this goes on, as I suspect it will for an extended time, I think there could be, there is the possibility that this could actually really regenerate life, particularly in the suburbs, the dormitory style suburbs where people just sleep and drive in and out. I think there's becoming a recovery of the idea of, of actual neighbourhood, actually not only knowing my neighbor's names, but reaching out, caring for them, listening to them, talking to them. So I think this is perfect uh, for the church to to say, hold on, wait a second, we've been running all these programmes, come and be served by us and, you know, come and join this thing or come and attend that thing, uh, when, when really here we have this magnificent it's almost like the earth has opened up a crack has Mm -hmm. appeared and neighborhood is kind of leeching out this is the perfect opportunity i think for us to equip our people to to be able to talk about jesus in a whatsapp group or be able to reach out and sit in the shade of a tree with a neighbor or conduct a funeral or memorial or whatever it was i mean Mm. this is this is what the church ought to be doing equipping me to be able to lament with my neighbors to to to, to con- confess my faith, to uh, be honest about my not knowing, to to uh, express my my certainty in the love of God, all those kinds of things. Uh, this is this is an opportunity. If we go right back to how we started, Matt, I think this is the gift. The gift could be that we actually recover what true discipleship actually looks like.
4: Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Yeah, maybe so. Mike, thanks for spending time with us today. How can people connect with you virtually? I know you're in all the social spaces. You have a blog. Uh, Would you uh, give us those? I am
5: on Facebook and Twitter, but my website is mikefrost.net, if anyone wants to hear what I rant and rave about.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I highly recommend it. You're a gift to the church, Mike. We thank you for your time today. Uh, God bless.
5: Thanks, guys. Thanks to both of you. Good to talk to you.
2: Yeah, thanks.
3: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com/slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com/slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.